This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 199. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This week on the show, we're going to talk to Megan Dorman. We have always blind tasted spirits, but we've started blind tasting cocktails more and more to see, you know, if this really stands up, if you would order this over a Manhattan, if it's a Manhattan variation, or can you pull out the ingredients or is it just you know, a mix of things we think are cool, but they don't necessarily go together. Megan is the bar director at the two Reigns Law Room locations, also Dear Irving and also the Bennett, all in Manhattan. We'll talk to Tom Richter. Well, it's, uh, that's what the place is about, man. It's like we just, uh, it's great going to work and we love having people come and join us. Yeah. Tom bartends at Dear Irving and also has a company that makes Tomer's Tonics, uh, great uh, tonic syrup. Well, I spoke to Megan and Tom during San Antonio Cocktail Conference down in San Antonio, and Michael Rogers organized a Dear Irving pop-up during SACC, San Antonio Cocktail Conference. I'm trying to get it as close as I can with the, the limited, limited resources since we are uh, doing this for charity. It's a, a non-profit, so I had a zero budget, and yeah, they took care of the lighting uh, for us. The, Houston Street Charities did. But yeah, getting everything put up, set up, it's all volunteer. Well, the space looked good for the Dear Irving pop-up, and uh, that's, a, that's a tall order because Dear Irving's such a gorgeous bar. So uh, to make it look anything like that on zero budget is quite a task. We'll talk to Tom about uh, a little bit more about the decor at Dear Irving in a little bit. But back to Michael. He's involved with the USBG. Uh, Secretary of USBG, which was a natural fit for me because I was an accountant for 20 years and then bartender for about 10. They overlapped for about eight years. So no one really wanted to take the job. So I said, OK, I'll take it. That seems like the hardest of the four positions to me. <laughs> it's, it's uh, reading through the descriptions, it seemed like the one with the most work. Yeah. <laughs> of course, that's the one I have to do because I, I don't have enough going on in my life. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's all worth it. And I'm sure everybody appreciates all your hard work, Michael, down in San Antonio. You hear me talk about the USBG all the time. And if you're not a member, I can't recommend enough that you go and check it out. Uh, go to usbg.org and you can join whether you're a bartender you're an aspiring bartender, you're a cocktail enthusiast, whatever you are, you're more than welcome to join. We'd be happy to have you. So we'll talk to Megan Dorman and Tom Richter in just a few minutes. But first, let's do a book of the week. And it's Mr. Boston's official bartender guide, 75th anniversary edition. The Mr. Boston bartender guide, that was my very first cocktail book ever. Back when I was probably 17 years old when I bought it. And uh, I think that old edition might be worth some money by now. But uh, it's, it's probably in my mom's house somewhere. Anyway, uh, there's been many editions since its debut in 1935. The most recent is edited by our friend Jonathan Pogash. We're definitely those geeks, <laughs> like walking in with... I know. That's all right. We look important. Totally. <laughs> so important. Everyone's, star- yeah. everyone's staring at us. <laughs> Just for so those people at home, that's what's happening right now. Everyone is staring at us. That was during Tales of the Cocktail when Jonathan and I were walking around the French Quarter uh, with microphone in hand. We wandered into the Aaron Rose and bought Irish coffees. That was a, real, a lot of fun. And uh, that was one of my favorite episodes, really. That was episode number 175. Uh, I'll put a link up to it on the show notes. Or if you go over to bartenderjourney.net, you can go over to to the right-hand side to the Google search bar and uh, just search for Pogash, P-O-G-A-S-H. 
That same episode has a talk with uh, Gary Gaz Regan. So that was that was a really good episode, number 175. Again, I'll have a link up to that in the show notes to go along with this show. So anyway, I digress. We were talking about the book of the week. This is an iconic book with tons of cocktail recipes. So go to bartenderjourney.net and find an Amazon link and buy that book. Buy it. It doesn't cost you any extra to use those Amazon links on bartenderjourney.net, but it does help out the show just a little bit. Next, let's do a cocktail of the week. It's the Bronx Cocktail. Well, my dad grew up in the Bronx, and we used to travel up there all the time when I was a little kid to see my grandparents in their tiny little apartment with the rickety old elevator that, just like the cyclone roller coaster in Coney Island, was so thrilling to ride because it seemed like a really dangerous mechanical failure was imminent at any moment. (laughs) So anyway, 199 episodes into Bartender Journey, it's about time that we do the Bronx Cocktail. We'll use two ounces of gin. Half an ounce of dry vermouth, half an ounce of sweet vermouth, one ounce of fresh orange juice. We're going to shake that with ice in our shaker and strain it. I like to double strain it to avoid any little shards of ice getting into our cocktail. And we'll put that in a chilled cocktail coupe. And we'll uh, take an orange twist, express the oils from the orange twist into the drink, and drop that right into our drink. So there you go, the Bronx Cocktail. The Bronx, of course, is one of the five boroughs of New York City, and uh, along with the Manhattan, there's the Bronx, there's the Brooklyn, there's a Queens cocktail, I believe, and uh, Staten Island cocktail. Well, we don't want to talk about that because that's an embarrassing cocktail, but I actually spent a lot of time growing up on Staten Island, so uh, I won't tell you what's in that one because it has a flavored coconut rum that I don't like. (laughs) All right, last week I introduced a new segment on this show and called it Cocktail of Knowledge. Okay, it's a dumb name. I'm still looking for a better name. If you got one, let me know. Anyway, the concept here is to share a little tidbit of knowledge I picked up along the way at a class or a conference or in a book or whatever. So here's a fun fact. Some rums are classified as Navy strength. So what does that mean? Well, there's two stories, pretty similar stories actually, but uh, they vary a little bit. Uh, And they both date back to when the Royal Navy gave its sailors daily rations of rum. Story number one is that in order to ensure that the rum hadn't been watered down, the sailors would prove the spirit's strength by pouring it onto gunpowder and then trying to ignite it. If it lit up, they knew that the alcohol content was greater than 57%. If not, the rum was considered underproof. This is where the term alcohol proof comes from. Story number two, which I think is even more entertaining, but uh, similar, as I said, uh, it also dates back to when rum was being carried on Royal Navy ships, and it goes like this. Rum that is Navy strength is bottled at 57% alcohol by volume because at this proof, if the spirits spilled from the casks while in storage in the ship's hulls and it got onto the stored gunpowder, it would not prevent the gunpowder from igniting when it was eventually needed to use uh, in the cannons or to otherwise blow stuff up. Both good stories to tell while mixing up a rum cocktail. Okay, let's talk to Megan Dorman. All right, we're here with Megan Dorman. Thank you so much for joining me here at Juniper Tar. Lovely bar, isn't it? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's my first time here. Yeah, I came last night. It was It was hopping. Ben uh, offered to, I think he came in a little, I think he got up a little early for me. I didn't mean to make him do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's over four or five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of uh, Dear Irving, especially. It's a beautiful bar. Thank you. And I just felt so, I, I was struck so much when I first walked in, most by the staff and by how they just honestly seemed glad that I had wandered into the space, you know. Yeah, and, and we have a really good crew and... You know, I think it really shows that they're happy to be at work and they're very present in what we do and how to explain things and welcome people. And they know that, 
you know, people at least now we're over two years in have, you know, either heard about it or been wanting to come or waiting to come. And that gives us a real added push to really make it the best we can. Yeah. It's a cool neighborhood too. Yeah, it's like a movie set street. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always say. That was uh, Pete's Tavern right there. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a cool space. So we, I really want to ask you about um, training. Like, what, what does training mean to you? Because, it, you know, training of a bartender varies from, you know, spending an hour with, an, you know, another bartender who doesn't really know that much to years, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we definitely consider that training is always happening, always ongoing. There's definitely a few marks we have to hit with everybody before they, you know, we call it go live before they can have their own shift. And people come in with all different types of background experience, which for us, we always have to see. Uh, and sometimes it takes a while to figure out exactly what they do or don't know necessarily. Like, of course, they have to learn our menu first and our way of doing things, but we're also looked at as experts with people coming in the door. So we have to have that canon of classic drinks and be able to make our own drinks. And most importantly, roll with the punches, which is sometimes harder for people to learn than just, you know, half ounce, half ounce, half ounce. So yeah. I, we always say it's ongoing. So if anyone ever was in an interview and kind of felt like they had seen it all, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years. I work with Tom Richter, who is 53 years old. So I've been doing this much longer and... If we're still learning, then so is someone that's brand new. It, it keeps you focused and it keeps you excited about your job to be always learning things, I think. Yeah, and a big part of the job is, you know, we do the same things over and over. So it can be very repetitive. It's not always as creative, um, you know, and exciting as people think. So we do have to find our own ways to challenge ourselves or keep learning because a lot of times we are making on a busy night the same drink 200 times. And, you know, coming to events like this or joining USBG, you yeah. know, it just, it just really opens your eyes yeah, to... Yeah, there's nothing like seeing what other people are doing up close and personal. Right, right. You know, through Facebook and social media, we see a lot, but it's always different to, like, actually be in the place. It's almost like this yeah. collective knowledge. And you're, exactly. And you've yeah. really inspired so many bartenders, you know, and I've heard you described as the den mother of the New York yeah. City bartenders. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, what I've focused on the most, or I guess not focused, but it happened, is consistency. You know, Reigns is almost eight years old now. Um, Deerving is now a little over two. The Bennett just had its first birthday, and people rely on us for the experience like they know they'll get. It's not very different from night to night or from my shift to another shift. So um, it's nice that people notice that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what's, um, what's your... When when you go to create a brand new cocktail, how, how do you find inspiration? What do, what's your, do you have a process you go through? Or yeah, always. I mean, the first thing I always ask myself, and I ask the staff when we're working on new menus, is if people are asking for something we don't have an answer to. I always give the example of spicy cocktails; those got popular a few years ago, and especially if you're a bar that focuses on classic drinks, there just aren't that many out there. You right. know, There's it wasn't so it wasn't many, a yeah. thing. Uh, so that challenges us to make our own drinks and our own recipes. And so I always ask myself first, is, is there some kind of hole in the menu or some kind of question we got a lot that we don't have a good answer to? And I start from there. Secondly would be like getting a new product on the bar that we don't have a cocktail with that we're excited about. And that's, that would usually be my most second way of creating new drinks. Sometimes, do you ever feel, I, I get this feeling sometimes, I enter cocktail competitions and things and I'm like, all the drinks have already been invented. There's none, none yeah, left. Yeah, it's, it's really hard um, unless you have a new product or have, you know, created some kind of new syrup 
you know, yeah, especially the good drinks. The good drinks have been made. So (laughs) then you have to ask yourself, you know, am I making this for me or am I making this because it makes a difference? That's so And we have always blind tasted spirits, but we've started blind tasting cocktails more and more to see, you know, if this really stands up, if you would order this over a Manhattan, if it's a Manhattan variation, or can you pull out the ingredients or is it just a little messy and, a, you know, a mix of things, things we think are cool, but they don't necessarily go together. Right. And uh, so sort of the same question about um, a cocktail menu. You know, what, what do you have to constantly keep in mind when creating a menu and you look for a wide variety of spirits? And Yeah, I mean, always for me is to remember that I'm not making the menu for myself or for other bartenders. We're making the menu for the people that are coming in. And it's a different, a little different at each location. Talking about rain specifically, because that's been open the longest. It's very classically focused. We get a lot of people coming in in the beginning of the night for business meetings or people that are entertaining clients. So we have to remember that maybe they, you know, they can't really get drunk. They're in a meeting or trying to accomplish (laughs) something. Mm -hmm. So we have to have options for them that aren't all super boozy, stirred cocktails. We get a lot of um, tourists now at this point coming in to check it out. And so we need to have a wide variety of something that, you know, anyone coming in could find something that they like. That's really important to us. And then for us, um, this goes to my seminar a little bit, uh, for us being eight years old, very classically focused, but every so often we branch out a little bit and do something a little cool and experimental for the staff to keep them interested, to keep them working on stuff. Um, and also for, for us to challenge ourselves and remember we are in 2017 now, we are in 1880. So even though a lot of our drinks are, are very simple, three, four ingredient kind of golden era style, we need to remember where we are and what market we're in and, and keep working as well. So it's an example of a cocktail that you have on your menu that's sort of aimed at the, you know, tourist who came from, we won't name a specific place, but you know. <laughs> well, we always have some... Uh, people love mojitos that yeah. are, are traveling always. Uh, so we always have some like really fresh ingredients, something that would um, like a really good strawberry daiquiris. Everyone mm. loves it. We mm-hmm. can stand behind it. Um, things like that. And then on the more experimental side, we had a carrot cocktail over the summer, which is something I didn't think we'd ever do. And one of the bartenders came up with a great one and it was a way to for us to branch out a little bit. Do you think we'll see more of uh, sort of... Um you know, healthy ingredients in cocktails. It seems like the logical I, yeah, I, I progression do a little at this bit. point. Um, the challenge is always to like really make it work. And I, you know, I was kind of like, oh, I don't think I'll ever like a carrot cocktail. And it was so good. Yeah. Uh, so you have to ask yourself, is it really accomplishing something and making a delicious cocktail and not being another vehicle for kale? But um, I think also with the way bars are working with kitchens closer and closer, you, you do see some more unusual ingredients now. Somebody had a friend of mine had a tonics that were like, you know, Zen tonic or something. And I'm yeah, like, and you're those. supposed to put it on your tongue. Yeah. And I'm like, this tastes like bitters. What if I yeah. put this in a cocktail? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have, I have seen those and they, I'm sure, are very useful in cocktails. And then there's like vitamin C powder. I'm like, what if you use that instead of like acidic acid? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Am I onto something? <laughs> but then again, you know, I made a cocktail for a, for a guest one time and it was... I forget what it was, but it had, you know, it had fresh lemon juice and it had honey syrup and it had muddled um, cucumber or whatever. And uh, and she's like, "Oh, it's a healthy cocktail, huh?" Ha ha! She wouldn't stop laughing long yeah. enough to even drink <laughs> it. You know, oh, cocktail, healthy cocktail, sure it is. I'm like, well, it's healthier than if I used yeah, sour exactly. mix out of a yeah. soda gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a room for that. So, um, what about you? You do a seminar about speed of 
I think you did this cocktail, uh, a seminar at Tales of the Cocktail once about speed. Of I did two years ago with Alba and Erin Reese, Alba Huerta from Julep and Erin Reese. Right. At the time was at Death and Company, and actually now she works at Dear Irving, which is great. Um, and for us, yeah, we talked about when you run a craft cocktail program, what are the things you can do and how can you train to, to speed it up, to um, make the drink come out faster, to... Um, you know, I think when cocktail bars first became a thing and popular again, uh, I definitely remember walking into bars and waiting 20 minutes for a drink and, you know, menus would have little notes, good drinks, take time. And yes, that's true. But especially working in a market like New York City, where our rent is just so expensive and we do have to focus on the fact that we, you know, we have to make money. We have to turn tables. We have investors that we owe money to. So what without sacrificing quality? What are the things we can do to set ourselves up for success to really push out those cocktails? And people have more options than they do in, than in 2009, 2010. So, you know, I don't want someone to make the decision that they'll go to a different bar over Dear Irving because they know their drinks take forever. <laughs> yeah. So what are a couple of those tips we could use? Yeah, for us, um, one of the things we do is set up the well around the menu and the drinks that are selling the best instead of just kind of having that standard juice and then a vodka, tequila, rum, Etc. Um, and so that keeps us looking at what's selling. What are we? What are we making the most of? Let's really set ourselves up for success there. Um, making sure we set the bar up so the bartender doesn't have to take more than two steps for anything. And then uh, combining certain ingredients or a couple syrups that maybe are half ounce of this, half ounce of that. Put that together, and then it's only one pickup instead of two for a really popular cocktail. Yeah, I think there's a lot of room for that. We're seeing um, some bars now that are actually pre-batching the entire cocktail and bottling it. Um, so I think there's a lot of room for that, even, you know, pre-batching, maybe not the entire cocktail, but, but, uh, yeah, definitely. If you can take a few steps out of it, it's definitely going to speed you up. Yeah. Especially when you're looking at something you might make over a hundred times a night. So if you, I was wondering about this and I need to maybe experiment it with it on my own, but if, if you pre-batch, you know, we talk about how fresh lemon or lime juice won't last more than a day, but what if, what if you mix it with, you know, some sugar and some alcohol? Yeah, it definitely will stay longer. And we've experienced this a little bit, um, not that we batch full drinks, but if we do for an event or something and we have some leftover, you know, we'll keep it around to give people as, you know, comp shots or like just something to try for our regulars. The big thing I noticed with citrus is that even if it doesn't necessarily go off, it loses like the sharpness and it tastes a little more muddy than tasting all these like bright ingredients together. But definitely we do um, pre-mix some alcoholic ingredients and those actually blend together and stay fine. Right, right. And do you do any um, bottled cocktails? You know, we, we talk about, you know, ne bottled Negroni or whatever. And uh, I was, again, I should experiment for myself, but I always had a hard time believing that it's going to change all that much in the yeah, I, I have, I don't, we don't have any at our locations. Um, I don't think it fits into our service that yeah. well. We, we don't really do much food anywhere, so we don't have a big prep staff or prep space. Mm. I do think it's really nice um, for venues that use them more as like something complimentary or thank you. It's, it's really nice. You know, you have it on hand. It doesn't hold anybody up. Um, or if you're, you know, if you're in the hotel bar and you're going to go upstairs and they give it to you for the road, like that's a really nice touch. Mm. Yeah, that's something that uh, doesn't come up that often anymore, but, you know, it used to be where the, the buyback, you know, the yeah. bars that I grew up in, you always had the, the buyback. You oh, know? when I was younger, it was like every third drink, always. Every third or fourth? Well, we, we got yeah, the fourth I mean, one that, free. Yeah, our, I, our, I guess after three, four, yeah. <laughs> which always, I always thought was so bad because 
what if you have four and then you're like five and you're like, well, if I make it to seven, I'll get another one. You know, yeah, oh, it's now, hard now when people like drinks. actually know <laughs> or when people, you know, I was working at this Irish bar in, uh, in Harlem when I first moved to New York. And yeah, people definitely knew that that was a standard. The fourth one was free. So they'd stay for a fourth and maybe they don't need it. Or yeah, you don't, you don't want to yeah. get to eight necessarily. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a good idea to have um, something maybe a little low ABV that doesn't yeah. cost too much that you can... Yeah, we, we've a had pump. a nice drink. It actually, it was on our menu. Uh, Manzanilla Sherry, Tangeray 10, and uh, Bianco Vermouth with a little orange bitters. We've kept that bottled... Um, at certain times as more of a thank you, like when people, you know, we get a wait list at some of the bars and if they're waiting an hour and a half, you know, they've come in, but you do want them to buy a drink. You don't want to give them that's going to push them over the edge. So it's a nice recognition without, I think, causing any trouble. People love free stuff. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, that sounds like a great cocktail. Oh, so you also did a seminar. This was going back to maybe three years ago at Tales, um, about Bartender's Choice. Yes, I love Bartender's Choice. Yeah. Some things that stood out for me from that was like, this is not a time to experiment. You Mm -hmm. should have this all thought out ahead of time, right? Yeah, that was was probably one of the principal points was Bartender's Choice is great. It's a great way to keep your staff learning, you know, especially if you don't change the menu all that often, to have other options for people so they know that they can come in and get something new. But definitely it's not a place... I don't think to make something up totally on the fly and charge someone full price for it. You know, in New York, we charge $15, $16 a drink. Um, These are like tested recipes that we stand behind. Um, So I think there's definitely room to use your regulars and guests as, you know, test bunnies, but not not when they're comparing this drink to like a time-tested recipe that they're also paying full price for. What would be your process if somebody came up with, you know, Make me something cool, you know. How, yeah, how would you I react always to that? use. I mean, I have a a big, uh, I guess, backlog. I don't know what you'd say of recipes, you know, that I know, and I will always pick either something that's been on a menu somewhere else. So maybe it's not a classic that they've had a bunch of times. Like if I have a relationship with them where I kind of know what they've had before, it can still be something brand new to them because it's maybe from one of our other bars. But I know this recipe works. And, you know, I trust myself enough to throw a dash of bitters or something here or there that might make something a little bit different. But, yeah, I just don't make, you know, pull four random ingredients and put them together, <laughs> you know. But if it were somebody you didn't know, like, what, what would you read, sort of your uh, investigative Yeah, process? so usually I ask them, you know, if it's coming behind another cocktail, it's a good way to say, you know, you just had this Wildest Redhead, it's a Scotch and Allspice cocktail. Is there something you really liked about that? And if they say, oh, I love the baking spice flavor, that gives you a hint. Or you can just say, you know, is there something you really like to drink, your kind of favorite go-to? And if there are, you know, a lot of people like to be like, anything, anything, anything. Very simply, it's easy to say, is there anything you really dislike or you're allergic to? Because most people will at least have one flavor. You know, absinthe and licorice is a big one for people. Me. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, as long as it's anything without that, I'm right. pretty game. Yeah. But what if they uh, came in and ordered a vodka soda first mm. and then second time? Well, then, you know, you know, they like something refreshing. <laughs> right. They like something pretty crisp and clean. They probably don't want any anything too rich or sweet. So you can take a hint from that and give them something, you know, a little more adventurous, but not something that's totally shocking. Yeah. I've transitioned a lot of guests into uh, like a fresh Tom Collins. It's yeah. Or like Southside or anything yeah. like that. It's I think it's a more um, like beginning bartender to mistake to just co- kind of want to go overboard with like the chartreuse of their fernet because that's a cocktail thing to do. But there are so many like great refreshing options, you know, 
there's so much we can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, out, outside of the major cities, a lot of times people don't know, don't know what a fresh Tom right. Collins should taste like, you know, they're used to sour mix. And, yeah. So and, you can really like, start there. Amazing. And that's a good way to introduce people too, without, you know, if you, if you open in a market where people aren't really that into cocktails yet, or I've opened bars in even neighborhoods that people are just aren't that into it. And you do have to like have those refreshing options or just when they first like recognize what a real balanced cocktail tastes like or a real martini, that's the jumping point to get it into other things instead of opening your door with this very intense menu that kind of scares people away. Well, it's nice to see, you know, even uh, the younger, the 21, 22-year-olds, you know, coming in and asking for Negronis, you know, it's a great yeah. thing. I mean, we definitely see people that, this is how they start drinking. Yeah. You know, they start drinking, they have their 21st birthday at Deer Irving. <laughs> but this really wasn't happening five or, you know, 10 years ago for sure, you know. Definitely not the the availability of like even hotel bars and restaurants having really thoughtful drinks. And I love that, you know, these days we still run very, you know, I would say cocktail cocktail bars, you know, like yeah. it's pretty organized in terms of the seating and the pace and mm. the ambiance, but... It is great that if you want a different kind of experience, you're, you're not necessarily giving up the quality. If you go to a restaurant or, you know, a busier bar or like Honeycutt in LA that has a dance, you know, a dance floor and a DJ, mm-hmm. it's cool to see it all over. Yeah. Somebody uh, on Facebook the other day was saying how guests were coming in asking for vodka Negronis and they were all upset about that. But I'm like, you know what? If that's their comfort zone, uh, you yeah, know, and if at they're least, willing to try those they bitter like, flavors gone down the path a little bit to decide this. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it wouldn't be a big jump to get yeah. them to uh, to have gin in their Negroni yeah. And then instead. there's also people, we have plenty of regulars that try all kinds of drinks and, you, you know, we have one uh, regular in particular that, you know, for the most part will drink vodka on the rocks and sometimes he branches out and on a day he doesn't feel like it, you know, hey, he's paying the check. Right. <laughs> so a lot of our listeners are um, sort of aspiring bartenders or um, even... I've heard from people that say they want to leave their job that they're doing to get into the hospitality industry and become a bartender so, or, or young bartenders. Like, what, what advice would you give for very young or even bartenders that are just looking to get into it in the first, for the first time? Well, I think an important thing these days is, uh, which I go through a lot with younger bartenders that we're training, is it, it's an, I would say it's a noble job. You know, you're in service to others. I always ask people what they love about the places they choose to spend their own money because it tells me something about the service that they enjoy. But when you clock in, you're now at someone else's service and you have to put your phone down and you have to be present because that really allows you to give that next level of service to like overhear that it's someone's anniversary or overhear that they're going out to dinner and do you want to tell them? You know, people love to know where we want to go and what we do on our nights off. So... You know, are you overhearing that someone's here for the weekend? Do you want to like give them a little list of places to go? Because like I said earlier, you know, if you're a good bartender, you can remember recipes really well. Having a good memory is paramount to also being successful. And it's hard to train someone on that. But you will make the same drinks again and again and again. So there's a lot of other things, you know, that you can teach yourself and work on, Um to really just be excellent at your job, to be faster, but also to be more compassionate and more interested in what people are doing. You know, when we have staff meetings and stuff, we kind of always go over that, 
you know, we're dealing with humans. So it's, it's very gray. There's no black and white situation by situation. But retaining the information from all these experiences you've had past makes you better because you've seen this kind of person before. You've seen this kind of date. You know, you've seen this person wanting to impress their in-laws. Like, how can we make it better? Great advice. Great advice. Well, we'll leave it there. I don't want to keep it too much longer. Okay. But thank you so <laughs> it's much. Been it's been a pleasure. We'll see you all Can't in New York. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll see you at that seminar. <laughs> all right. I'll see you Saturday then, yeah. if not before. Yeah. Megan has been such an inspiration and a mentor to so many bartenders, and the industry is really indebted to her. Next, let's talk to the great Tom Richter, who, among other things, works with Megan at Dear Irving. We're here with Tom Richter in the lovely Hendrix Departure Lounge. Yes, is this, this not is... the most civilized event? Oh, my God, this in... is amazing. It's so it is civilized. just amazing. And I had a massage, did some virtual reality, had a little breakfast tacos. Going to have a Negroni next. Yeah. Did you see the Negroni machine? It's amazing. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. And look what you did to my boots. They look better than new. See, I should have had my polishable <laughs> yeah, shoes one. on yes, today, but yes, I don't yes. have them. <laughs> <laughs> so, sir, Dear Irving is just yes. the most wonderful place. Yeah. I remember the first time the first time I went there was for a chartreuse event. Ah, uh, yes. And mm-hmm. the, the, the I just felt so welcomed into your space. Like Thank you. you. Like, you just seem so happy to have welcome people into your place. Well, it's uh, that's what the place is about, man. It's like we just—it's uh, great going to work, and we love having people come and join us. Yeah, so. that's a beautiful place. Yes. What's the? Um, tell me the uh, or for anybody who's never been there, the uh, sort of concept you kind of walk back in time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fascinating. It's loosely based on uh, Woody Allen's film Midnight in Paris as you travel back in time. So when you come in the front door, it's like the, one of those traditional New York railroad apartments, kind of. It's just a long, thin room. Uh, you enter through the 1950s JFK, that kind of mid-century uh, modern thing. Uh, you go through the next kind of doorway, and it becomes the 1920s, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, flapper era, that kind of thing. Then you get to half of the bar, and that, that room encompasses half of the bar, so half of the bar is decorated in the deco, and then right, way, right in the middle of the bar it turns into turn of the century Abraham Lincoln Victorian, uh, and then in the back you keep going back and there's a room that you go through that is French Revolution uh, Marie Antoinette. <laughs> so you just keep going back in time as you travel through the... Do the bar, and it's great because if you have a short attention span, you move 20 feet and you're in a new bar. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much to take in, you know. It's yeah. beautiful, and uh, the drinks are great. And uh, Ma- Megan Dorman's involved with the bar, and she, she was telling me that the um, that behind the bar it's set up. Uh, you know, she's very much about like not taking more than two steps, right, to, to reach everything. And yep. Yeah. Well, tell, yeah, tell us really a little well, about the setup of your bar. Yeah, they're really well designed uh, stations that pretty much when I'm working, I don't even have to turn around. I just yeah. grab behind me. The coolers are there. Everything is within reach. It's great. It's yeah. really, really well well yeah. put together. Yeah. Right, right. What can you... Uh, um, I work in a place and there's multiple bars, but the oldest bar that we have is just set up so badly. Like, you're constantly taking four and five, six steps to get what you need, you know, and yeah. I, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out how to fix it, but I just can't figure it out. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, especially when you're building a new bar. Old yeah. bars are a, are a challenge, but yeah. when you're building a new, new bar, the best thing to do is you design it the best you can and what you think it's going to be, but you also have to give it a year in the ability to change it and fix it mm. because the bar will tell you what it needs to do as well. You know, so it's like, I think I'm going to do this because it needs to be this efficient. And then all of a sudden, you're not doing that. You're doing a whole different thing. 
Right. And and it's like, okay, oh uh, yeah, we need to fix this on the bar and make it do this better. So I, that's kind of the best approach if you have the money and, and uh, wherewithal to think that far ahead. But other than that, you just have to, you have to let them, you have to have them let you redo the bar. <laughs> yeah. <bad>. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's funny. I mean, it's this old bar. It's been there about 80 years or something. Oh, my God. Yeah. Where is that? <laughs> uh, I, I work um, in the lower Hudson Valley, so just about 40 miles north of the city oh. in a private club up there. And oh, great. It's been around. The club's been around since 1886. Great. <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's been um, members like Rockefellers and... Oh, nice. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of people. So it's great. Yeah, it's interesting. So you want to tell us about your uh, tonic... Sure. Uh, I make uh, a tonic syrup. It's called Tomer's Tonic. Uh, it's a brown uh, concentrated tonic. Uh, it's brown because I actually use the tree bark that supplies quinine in the process. I don't use any extracts. It, get, it picks up this beautiful amber color from the bark and also these amazing flavors that it tastes like there's a lot of different spices in there that I don't actually add. It's just from this wonderful bark. Uh, most tonics, are, this bark is sent to pharmaceutical extraction places. They pull out the pure quinine. That white powder gets settled back to like Canada Dry or Schweppes or whomever. Uh, they add high fructose corn syrup, water, and carbonate it, and that's what we grew up uh, thinking tonic was. So right. what I wanted to do is find out what the original tonic was when it was discovered by the uh, Spanish explorers in the 1600s. And mm. so this is, this is the stuff. I mean, it's like I did a little research. Uh, I got the tree bark, sweetened it up with real sugar, add a little citric acid for a citrus punch, and it also is a natural preservative. And that's it. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah. I, well, I mean, well, I'm sure it is. I haven't had the opportunity to try it. Oh, man. We, we, I was, we've been drinking it all, all week here. So. Yeah, somehow I missed it. But uh, And that was fun, the uh, Dear Irving pop-up the other yes, night. That yes, yes. fun. Most fun. Yeah, and uh, so you, you, you kept quite busy. Uh, I did, man. I, I taught a <laughs> seminar on the history of the gin and tonic. Go yeah, figure. yeah. Uh, I did the Dear Irving pop-up. Uh, <clears throat> Earlier in the week, uh, there were some paired dinners with uh, various uh, importers and cocktail uh, companies, and I was—I uh, did one with uh, Cadre Noir Imports, which is Cambier and their line of cordials and uh, mezcal. And, uh, it was out at La Cantera Resort and Spa. Okay. Uh, so we did—I uh, came up with seven cocktails, and then they built a menu around that, and then we hosted a dinner. And, and that fun. was fun. So I did that. Then I did my uh, Dear Irving pop-up. Then we did a seminar. I did a seminar. And then last night I did a little guest shift at Juniper Tar. So I was working way too damn hard. Yeah, man. Supposed <laughs> to come to these things have a good time. You're, you spend the whole time working. It was. I enjoy working though, man. I like being behind the I bar. Know. So it's like uh, I think actually it was Megan who said, you know, people pay to come to our bar every night. We get paid to be here. Exactly. So, hey, man. Yeah. Who's better than us? Yeah. We we're pretty lucky. <laughs> All right. Well, I actually have to run a, who, a, to meet somebody else. Great. But, hey, man, it's so great to get to know so you a little better. You. And uh, yeah. I hope to run into you more often. See you in New York. Cheers, man. All right. Tom's a great guy. Hey, make sure you stay tuned to the very end of the show for our toast. We do 
toast every week at the end of the podcast. Uh, but first, I'll remind you, my name's Brian Fitzweber. Thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter at BarKeepTips. You can find me on Instagram at BartenderJourney. And uh, search the um, search the uh, Facebook there for Bartender Journey and like that page. Like it. If you go to BartenderJourney.net, you can find the contact page and feel free to get in touch with me for any reason at all. I'd love to hear from you. And you'll, you can also find the posting that goes along with this show, one, number 199. You can find the Amazon link there to the Mr. Boston Cocktail Guide book. And uh, anytime you click on an Amazon link on bartenderjourney.net, you'll help out the show just a little bit, whether you buy that book uh, that I suggested there or something else in that sort of session after clicking through on, a bar- on an Amazon link through bartenderjourney.net, you help out the show just a little bit and it doesn't cost you any extra at all. Hey, next week is our show number 200, 200 Bartender Journeys journeys 200 bar 200 bartender journey podcasts and uh yeah we've got something special planned for you for next week and can't wait to see you then i hope you're subscribed so you get the new shows just as soon as they become available uh if you have any questions on how to do that you can go to bartenderjourney.net slash subscribe all right here's our toast may you have the hindsight to know where you've been the foresight to know where you are going and the insight to know when you have gone too far Cheers, we'll see you next time on Bartender Journey.